Trust you found your place in the book of First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17 for the preaching of God's word. And I'll be reading from verse 20 down to verse number 31. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 20. The Bible says, and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of his, the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said, spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? And take it away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there another cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to open the pages of scripture and to hear from you. Dear Lord, I pray that you would use your word in a special way to speak to each and every heart. Dear Lord, I pray that your word would find a lodging place and that each and every person would not only hear your word, but respond in obedience to your word. I pray that you would give me at this time the words you'll have me to say, that you'd fill me with your spirit, empty me of self, cleanse me of sin, that I may preach what thus saith the Lord. Dear Lord, we can do nothing without you. And so we come before you asking for your presence to saturate this place and move in every heart save some lost soul, and that every believer would be challenged to be closer drawn to you. Have your divine way, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for what you will do and how you will use this time for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Before answering the call of God on my life to be in full-time ministry as a pastor, I was a software engineer. And throughout that time, I 
did some software development, but most of my work surrounded software testing. Entire teams of people and departments existed for the purpose of ensuring that the software, or you might know it as the applications that were developed, functioned according to certain specifications. The testing that we did was critical because it largely involved ensuring that the customers were billed correctly for services and products that they had ordered and were now receiving. Inadequate testing could lead to overcharging the customer. And none of us like when that happens. It could lead to customer dissatisfaction, bad customer relations, bad public perception, all because of a failure to properly test what was developed. There were times when there was much excitement over a new product or a service offering and stakeholders were uh, in a hurry to get it to market because it's all about getting a leg up on the competition. However, the risk of getting it to market without testing was always considered too great considering the fallout that potentially could occur from bad PR, unhappy customers, resulting from errors and failures not caught during the testing phase. Testing, my friend, is a part of life. In order to be aware of realities that would not otherwise be recognized. We are tested throughout school as we learn in order to determine our progress. Maintenance checks or tests are done on aircrafts, cars, boats to ensure our safety as we travel. Audits are done on companies, on their books, to test that they are functioning in compliance with regulations, laws, and standards. Food is tested to ensure that it is safe for our consumption. Testing is essential, my friend, for our protection, to keep us from drawing false conclusions that would result in us making harmful decisions. Testing is important. It's irrefutable. But testing, my friend, should also be done in assessing our love for Almighty God. Why? Because Jesus, in speaking to a young lawyer, described loving God as our greatest responsibility. He says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. He further stated to this young man that on this lies all the other commandments which hinge on loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
My friend, for such an important command, it is vitally important to know, to test where you stand, to test where we stand, so as not to falsely conclude that we love God more than we actually do. Or to falsely conclude that we love God when we really don't. And as such, we've been looking at this message series titled, How to Know or How to Test That You Really Love God. And by way of testing, I've posed a number of questions, if you will, for us to do our own personal assessment. By the way, this is a self-test. Amen? It is a personal assessment. We were asked the question, do we speak with him? If you're going to test whether you love someone, you have to ask yourself, do you speak with them? Is there a conversation? Is there communication taking place? We further ask the question, do, do you sit at his feet? In other words, do you spend time with him? Do you enjoy his presence? Is sitting at his feet meaningful to you? The third question that we ask by way of message is, do you serve him? Do you serve him? When you love someone, you're going to want to serve them. You're going to want to be of service to them in some way. We ask as well, do you sacrifice for him? Are you willing to give up something that is valuable for this one who you say you love? But today, I want to ask another question. And this question is, do you stand up for him? Do you stand up for him? By way of biblical character, I could not think of anyone more appropriate than the sweet psalmist of Israel, David. We're very familiar with the background to our text in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Where the Philistines, in verse number 1, the Bible says they gathered their armies together and they endeavored on a task, on an effort to intimidate God's people, the nation of Israel. They surmised that they had the biggest and baddest man on the planet, Goliath. No one could beat him. And they came up against God's people with an intimidation tactic that we're going to wear them down emotionally. We're going to wear them down mentally. And by the time we're done, we're not even going to have to raise a finger. Because our intimidation is going to scare them such that they're going to just decide, let us just give in. Enter David on the scene. And we're going to see that David, because of his love for God, even though he was small in stature, David made a decision that somebody has got to stand up for this God. And he certainly did. 
And I want us to see a number of things that resulted in David standing up. It was based on his love for God. And because of that, God wrought an amazing victory. The question is for each and every one of us this morning, as we make our claim that we love God and we always want to think that we do, the question is, do you stand up for him? Well, the first question I want to pose to you by way of this, and it's very important, because this question is going to determine ultimately whether you will stand up. And the question is, does it offend you when others offend God? Does it offend you when others offend God? Now the Bible says in verse number 22 and 23, notice that David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And the Bible says in verse 23, and as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And notice this last phrase. And David heard them. David heard some words. David heard some things that piqued his attention. Now, what did David hear? Now, I want to draw your attention back to verse number 8 to understand what David heard. The Bible says, And he, speaking of Goliath, stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and servants. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. David heard these offensive words. Notice with me verse number 26. David was offended, my friend, that this man would bring reproach on God and God's people with his actions for, and words. Get this, for 40 days. David got offended. David did not like what he heard. That this man would have the gall to defy the armies of the living God. My friend, we have far too many believers who are simply not offended when the world makes mockery of God. Makes a mockery of sin. Makes a mockery of the people of God. And we're here examining the, this question about whether we stand up for God. But my friend, you're not going to stand up for God unless you are offended enough to think that there is something worth standing up for. You look around at our world, there is so much offensive behavior and attitudes towards God and I am saddened my friend that so many professing Christians are not only cool with it but they appear to be enjoying it 
when it should be offensive. Let me give you some examples of some things that are happening that ought to offend you as a believer. Words that people say that are against God. My friend, it ought to offend you when people mock God. When people mock the church. When people mock the people of God. I don't want to say to you, listen, you are not to join in with them and give them more material to justify what they are saying. Listen, the church is not a perfect place. But the church is the work of the living God. And here's what's, 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 what, what ought to be a reminder. For those who are part, you are a part of it. And I would admit and agree with you sadly to our shame that many of the failures that happen in the work of God are due to God's people not doing right and not being right. But it simply ought to offend you when people mock God and mock his work. You ever hear these statements? But church people are the worst. They're such hypocrites. Listen, that's not like any other institution in the world. You have hypocrites everywhere. You ought to expect to find them in the church. In the New Testament, listen, it says they crept in unawares. When people walk through the door, we don't have a hypocrite monitor there going, beep, 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 hypocrite ahead. They got hypocrites in the bank, you still line up there and put your money in there. They got hypocrites in the supermarket, you still go there and shop. They got hypocrites in government, and you still vote for them. Time and time again. And you campaign for them. And they've proven it time and time again. They didn't stop you. You have hypocrites in the school. You still have to send your children there. To be taught by them. You ever hear this one? Pastors are the worst. All they want is church money. And you're a member of a church. Buy a true. Shame on you. If you are and if they do, you're in the wrong church. Listen, every, I'm not justifying hypocrisy. But listen, every profession and institution has those who do right and those who don't. What you ought to do is set an example of what right ought to be. And it would help your institution, wherever it may be, to be better. But don't join in in attacking and mocking God and his work. Listen, David heard these offensive words against God's people and Israel by, was by far not a perfect nation or perfect people but David took offense to what Goliath was saying about God's people. The question is does it offend you? When people say words that are against God. Here's another one. Events that promote activities that are 
against God. My friend, God's people ought to be in tune enough with God not to patronize events that promote immodesty, nudity, promiscuity, carousing, sensuality, lusting, drinking, and downright sinfulness, my friend. Some red flags ought to go off in your spirit when things that are indulging that are simply anti-God and displeasing to God. I mean, there's supposed to be something that arouses in your spirit. I'm not telling you all the time. You're going to know what you encounter. But when you encounter it, it ought to offend you. In the middle of a pandemic, no less. Maybe we're not at the middle. Maybe we're closer to the end. But nonetheless, I mean, I thought, just to, just, to, just to help you to understand even maybe my high level of ignorance in some things of the world, I thought the tropics was the region of the Caribbean and the, in, that, 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 that we lived. That's what I thought it was. I mean, I live in the tropics. But you can't say that these days. By the way, Christians, you are not to be found there. You are not to be found at breaking dawn. You are not to be found at white sands. You are not to be found carousing at culture rama. Listen, something in your spirit ought to offend you. Listen, your flesh is still flesh. And I just haven't heard any stories of Christians that were out there sharing the gospel message and doing so effectively. Convincing others of God's holiness. I mean, if that's what you were doing, I would probably say, well, bravo, go right ahead. But listen, Christians ought to be looking to make an impact on this world and not blending in with activity that is offensive to God. Listen, if you're going to go into an environment and change it for God, by all means, go ahead. But there are certain environments, listen, the world is just simply laughing at you if you come with your Christian testimony talk. Just doesn't work. There's some actions that are against God's work, my friend. Behavior that even in the house of God, those things that are to offend you, actions that are against God's work, behavior that promote this unity in the church. When someone comes to you as a member of a, a church that's seeking to honor God and people seek to sow seeds of discord to hinder the work of God, it ought to offend you. When someone comes to you tearing down a brother or sister in Christ, listen, it ought to offend you that they would come to you. 
daughter said to them, of all the people, you decided to pick me out to come to me with that? I'm offended. I am not the one. I'm a kingdom builder. Not a kingdom destroyer. Listen, some things ought to be offensive. Here's some other things that ought to be offensive. When laws and legislation and policies are against God. Listen, God's people ought to be offended when governments wanted to redefine the way that God has instituted for marriage to be. One man, one woman. One lifetime. It ought to be offensive when governments want to redefine gender and sexuality to whatever he or she wants. We are not to be pleased and content and apathetic towards these things. We are not to join in on the side of legislation that proves that, that, that approves the, the murder of the unborn. My friend, I'm simply saying that there are some things that ought to offend us as believers. And the question is, does it offend you when others offend God? Well, here's another question this morning. Do you back down when you are criticized for standing with God. Do you back down? I want you to notice the, 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 the response of David. And inevitably, it's not shocking that he would face criticism. By his own brother. Look at verse number 28. The Bible says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David was criticized for his own brother because he was offended about what was happening. But here's what I love about David and what we are to do like David. Don't let the criticism stop you. My friend, when you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're standing with God and you're standing for God, don't back down. Don't go into a corner and hide. Oh, look what they said about me when I stood up for God. Oh, poor me. I stood up for God this time and they criticized me. They accused me. They lied on me. Oh, poor me. I'm done. I'm not telling anything else, anybody else again about God. That's it. Look at what David did. Mine, his eldest brother. The one who should have been cheering him on. The one should have been championing the cause. Listen, when he criticized David, David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? My friend, when you stand up for God, understand that that is a cause worth standing up for. 
And look at David's response in, number 30, in verse number 30. And he turned from him towards another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. Simply put, David said, listen, I couldn't care less what you say. I'm going and I'm asking the same thing and I'm doing the same thing that I've always been doing. But here's a third question for you. Are you willing to fight for his cause? No, it's one thing to talk. It's one thing to let your mouth be heard. But the question is, are you willing to fight for God's cause? The Bible says in verse number 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David was saying in no uncertain terms, I'm going to engage this enemy of God. I'm going to counter what is being promoted that is anti-God. The question is this morning, if you love God, and since you love God, are you willing to be on the front lines in standing for God? Young people at school, when that teacher is speaking against God, are you willing to stand up and to speak up in that classroom and, and to respond in a respectful manner and say, teacher, with all due respect, I'm going to represent God and I'm going to stand up for him. On the job, are you willing to defend God to your co-workers? Are you willing to engage in ministries that will counter the heresy that is being promoted in this world? My friend, make no mistake about it. We are in a spiritual war. But we're not fighting with physical weapons, my friend. We must fight with the very word of God. My friend, here's one thing we must recognize. While many Christians and believers are sleeping, the devil is fighting. And he is fighting tooth and nail. He is fighting hard. This past week, my spirit was troubled in a way that it hasn't been in a while. And it's partially because I had been aware of the fact that this was in the news that in the U.S., after school Satan clubs are being conducted. So you know, just like how you have an after school, maybe you have a Bible club, or you have an after school club of any sort, that there is an active movement that is starting 
and implementing Satan clubs for our children. And I went and I researched this online and went to the website that spearheads, tells you everything about the endeavor, the purpose of it, why it's being done. And I shuddered. I cringed. The content on there is beyond alarming. On this site, on the front page, the home page, there's a video of a song that is played, animated and all. Sounds like a, sounds musically like a song that you would sing as a four-year-old or five-year-old in a Bible club. I don't want to read the words of this song to you. And I hope that it awakens within us a sense of seriousness and severity about the spiritual attack and the war in which we are engaged. The title of this song is My Pal Satan. Listen to the words. Satan's not an evil guy. He wants you to learn and question why. He wants you to have fun and be yourself. And by the way, there is no hell. Science is important so we understand the world. Satan looks for truth. Let's help him, boys and girls. Everyone is different. And that's okay with Satan. He'll always treat you equal, whether you're black, white, or gay. Satan's not a scary guy. He wants you to share and to be kind. He wants you to have fun and be yourself. And by the way, there is no hell. When all is said and done, Satan doesn't actually exist. He's an imaginary friend who can teach us how to live. When I played that song, you know what was so scary? And it also it ought to help us understand the impact of music. I kid you not. I listened to that song just to be able to, well, I even questioned whether or not I should be doing this in my own house. Let's let some spirit out of the computer. Anyway, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? We got to be aware of what is happening, my friend, if we're going to counteract the wickedness so I said, listen, I got to know what's happening on the devil's front so that I, because I'm fighting on God's front. Amen. But I said that to say, shortly after, do you know that in my head, I started humming the tune? I went on the piano and I started playing that song. What is the song called again? 
Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. I started playing that song. I started singing it to myself to flush that mess out my head. And you telling me the devil is not a liar? And he's seeking to devour my friend. The question is this morning. Is there something arose in the spirit of God's people that are going to be willing to counter what Satan is doing in this world? Do we have some people who are going to be willing to be a part of a Bible club to counter what Satan is doing? My friend, this is not a time that we can afford to have believers who claim to be on the side of God and are apathetic, who don't care, who are going through the motion while the enemy is fighting on every front. And especially targeting our children. My friend, we must wake up. We got to be alert and we must be actively engaged in the battle for our own safety. Are you willing to fight? I mean, we have too many believers who are just content with just sitting down. Jot this question down. Are you convinced of God's provisions and protection over you? Here's the thing about God. When you stand up for him, listen, he covers you. We know the story of David, so we don't have to read all these verses. But in verses 33 to 37, David approaches Saul. And in essence, David was saying to Saul, David, Saul rather, God loves me. I love him. This God has proven his love to me. He's protected me before. I came up against a lion. I came up against a bear. Listen, and because I've stood up for God, I am convinced that he will defend me and he will protect me. That was based on his knowledge of the love of God. That was based on his knowledge of the fact that he knew that God loved him and he loved God. So are you convinced of God's provision and protection over you as you stand for him? But finally, this question I want to pose, as it relates to standing up for God, are you proud to stand for him? Are you proud to stand for God? When you do stand, is it from a sense of adoration, gratefulness that I get to represent the God I love? David was proud to stand for God. In verses 41 to 47, he approaches Goliath. And Goliath ridicules him. Goliath chastises him. Goliath makes mockery of him because of his physical stature. David takes it all in. 
David says to him in verse number 45, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver into mine hand, thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And here's what David was saying to him. You coming to me and you feel that you are in a position of might and authority because of your physical stature. But I'm not coming in my own name. I'm not coming in my own might. But I'm coming in the might and in the name of the most high God. And here's what he was saying. I am happy and proud to represent him. And here's what he also was saying to Goliath. Goliath, you are subject to him. So when we look around at this world and all the chaos and all the mess, here's why you ought to be proud to stand up for God. Everything else and everybody else is subject to your God. I love that verse that was read in the scripture reading. And maybe this is a quite appropriate verse for all those who think that they are big and bad. All those who feel that they are not subject to anything or anyone. Look at verse 19 and 20 of Psalm 9 and I'll close with this. Arise, O Lord, Let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. My friend, you can stand for God. And you can be proud to stand for him. Because he is incomplete control and with all that he chooses to love us and we are to love him in return and be willing to stand 